Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the What Type Ones Eat podcast. Can you believe it? It's the 10th week already. Oh my God, time flies. I um, want to remind you that on this episode, we talk about different ways that type ones eat, that they manage their diabetes to allow them to eat the foods they love and want to eat and how they live their lives to the full. Today on the podcast, we have the most incredible person who has had type one diabetes for 48 years, which is incredible. And it's so inspiring to hear his story and how involved he is in the type one community these days. Today we have Paul or type one D, Paul Dia Godfather on Instagram. Sure, a lot of you guys will know him. He is the kindest person and if you ever need to talk to someone, Paul is the first person I would reach out to. He is incredible and his story is even more incredible than he is himself. Um, and just as a side note, nothing we say on this podcast is a medical advice and I would consult your physician or your diabetic team before you make changes to your diabetes plan. So let's welcome my dear friend and the kindest person I know, Paul. Hi, Paul. I am so thrilled to have you on today. Um, I, You're one of my favorite people in this type one community, and I am just super excited to welcome you to the What Type One Seat podcast. How are you today? Good morning, Daria. I'm really good. Thank you very much. And thank you for the compliment. Um, it's very humbling to hear things like that. Well, you've done a lot for the community and you've been quite a big figure. Um, I mean, since I've met you, I know you do quite a lot of stuff. Um, I try. I think it's really important to give back, given that we have the availability of social media to do that. Um, I think it's a good thing spreading awareness because there's a lot of people out there that don't know. So, yeah. Totally. And I guess social media wasn't around when you were diagnosed, hey? Uh, no. Um, and I, I've got a little story about that. Um, I, I was 39 years actually completely on my, no, on my own, didn't know a, a single other type 1 diabetic. And it was only in 2011 when I... I basically had a nervous breakdown um, and went to my GP and he basically said there wasn't anything they could really do for me because the, the waiting time was about two years to get into mental health. No therapy. way. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so what he did though, which changed my life was he scribbled down a website of a diabetic support forum online and I've never looked back. I joined that and immediately met loads of people online and they, they ran a chat room. So I joined in with that pretty much every evening. And it was, it was just amazing, like I said. And from there, it's just grown into where I am today. So That's yeah. awesome. Do you mind telling me how old you are right now? No, not at all. 62. Um, diagnosed, diagnosed in August 1972 at the age of 14. All right. So you were quite late to the party in terms of when you were diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. 
how did that go? How, like, what was it like back then? And where, what country were you in? Um, at the time I was diagnosed, I was living in Seattle, Washington, in the States. And it, it was incredibly, and I mean, incredibly rigid. You, you took one injection a day at the same time every day. And therefore, because of that, your entire like day and evening were very regimented. So it was up every morning at seven o'clock, injection, eat breakfast, snack at between 10.30 and 11, lunch at about 12.30 every day, snack at three o'clock in the afternoon. <coughs> and were you using like carb exchanges? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was carb exchanges back in those days. So, yeah. um, if I'm being honest, I, I, I can't, I can't say that I took control of my eating in the early days. It was my mother that did it for me, even though I was 14. Yeah, of course, old. of course. <laughs> so basically <clears throat> she did all the cooking seven days a week and snack making and you know everything was just done for me so um all, all i can really remember is is the fact that i grew an intense love of, of um green vegetables because they were considered free you, you didn't have to count them as anything yeah and um so like broccoli is my best friend now i just i I still I'm not going to lie, like I have the same thing, even though I grew up quite a bit later, but still like free foods were kind of always like good, pictured as good to me or as like better than foods that we had to inject for. But now I'm like figuring out that I actually might need to inject for greens sometimes, like if um, it's the only thing I'm eating. <clears throat> well, that's that's what I've actually discovered as well, because um when I was put forward to go on a pump and had to prove I could carb count. Um, you realized you just couldn't? Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> no I, I could count very, very well. But in those days, when I was going for the pump back in 2014, I, I didn't count my greens because, you know, generally speaking, I always knew that they were free. But going on to a pump, yep had to start counting every single thing that I ate so you know it's funny because like I don't count my greens if I'm eating them as part of a meal but I might have to do like half a unit and half a unit is a bit too much even though if I'm yeah. eating them just on their own like I don't actually count them no. I, I don't mean, even count like colorful vegetables so like peppers tomatoes um oh really oh, I definitely count those I don't know. I don't need to. Um, what, what I find is, is, is like, just as an example, I like, a, like, and I love salads. So if I make a salad, it will have lots of ingredients in it. And if you, if you add every ingredient together, carb wise, the, the total bowl will come up to about 11 or 12 carbs. Well, I definitely need to inject for that. So I, I still don't need to inject for it. I don't know, like maybe it's just a slow release or the lot like load of fiber. Maybe like I'm just like quite insulin sensitive, as you know. Yeah, so yeah. 
I don't know, whatever it is. And plus, like, I never eat my veg just like just veg. Like, I'll have them with some carbs or whatever. So I guess that bolus covers the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I think I think your sensitivity would be a a, a big factor in that though, because my my insulin carb ratio is one to five. So mm. yeah, mine's like one to f- twelve, one to f- twenty, depending on like activity. Yeah. 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 Um, so like yeah, the early years I guess were harder, but like during the years, obviously the care and like the development of diabetes tools has changed and. Can you tell me a bit of like how it progressed over the years for you? Did you go from that one injection to multiple injections or how did it go? Yeah, there was a, there was a step in between. So, um, 1972, one injection, uh, 1984, two um, injections, funnily enough. Yes. Two injections. (laughs) And, and the actual, we then go to three, then to four, then to five. (laughs) No, it was it was the one and then the two see when it was one you actually had to mix two different insulins into one syringe and was when it, it like went, cloudy and clear i think they call that's it that's right yeah that's exactly right and then when it went to two that was a pre-mixed so you just took the one injection twice a day of a pre-mixed insulin uh okay. which was a, a combination of longer acting and shorter acting together so it what gave year was the, that again sorry oh 1984 yeah, yeah just uh like oh, 15 years before i was born <laughs> yeah well Fun. I, I think we're gonna be i think we're gonna be talking the jump from two to effectively four injections then before you were born because that was 1996 yeah so that's one long acting and then three meal insulin okay that's 1996 yeah okay so I was always really curious when that actually was because like I know the like the short acting and the long acting only came out a very short time before I was I appeared basically Yeah. So, and then, then to pump, I guess. Um. Well. Yeah, but um, th- th- there's another little hitch in that story as well. Okay. Because, um, I had a really, I mean, a seriously bad hypo in 2001. Um, I was unconscious for a couple of hours. Oh wow. And I woke up in an ambulance. So it was it was yeah that was a scary one and from that my endocrinologist suggested that maybe i would be better off on a pump and i not really been big on change i in in my whole life with this kind of stuff and i I thought to myself at the time well no um you know i'm okay okay i had a bad hypo but that's no reason to change my whole regime. And I didn't like the idea of something being stuck to me. So I politely declined, said, no, I'm fine. You know, I don't need a pump. And looking back, I wish I had gone for the pump, really, because when I finally did get one in in 2015, it's been a life changer. I mean, it just, I don't have Dawn Phenomenon anymore. I I can, I can eat or not eat whenever I want. Yeah. Uh, 
it does it, allow for a lot more flexibility in your life. Oh, it, it, it's it's just absolutely you know amazing. I, I can't I can't recommend them highly enough. And I know they're not for everybody. I know that, but um, for me, it's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I don't know. Like for me, I do really want to at least try a pump because to me, that flexibility is just like it's very freeing. And I can't even explain this feeling, but I just feel like if you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, it's just like a completely different story than you're living this regimented life. And you end up doing that on injections, kind of, but not as like regimented as you would be on one injection, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, can you tell me like, what was the dietary advice back? Well, like when you were diagnosed and then like progressive progressing, was there any <clears throat> advice except for obviously like carb exchanges and all of that? Yeah, effectively. Um, and this is like an overnight kind of a thing. I was told not, you know, I wasn't allowed to eat anything sweet. Um, I was, I was limited to a, if you think of it in terms of a scoop of ice cream, I was limited to one scoop of vanilla ice cream once a week. And once a week, was, that makes very little sense. Um, it was, that, that was your once a week treat. So maybe it was kind of the thinking behind that, that, like you can go high once a week and that's not going to harm your health too much. Um, well, the thing is, I, I mean, as you will probably know, when you eat sweet things at the end of a meal, they can maybe not spike you as much as if you just ate sweet things on their own. Yeah, sure thing. So, so what would have happened is my mother would have substituted one of my exchange other exchanges of carbs and I would have been allowed the ice cream at the end of the meal instead once a week so yeah but why but, is it once a week well be, because other than if you're doing that all the time you obviously would have your sugars elevated so it was uh, not necessarily mm, though well yeah I know but the thing is you, you've got to remember going back to those days that yeah, was, I guess I just was, don't understand how the insulin works. That's why I'm thinking. Yeah, that was that was that was it. You just you did what you were told, and all. And the you didn't question it. Well, no, of course not. Um, because in those days, none of the things that have come along since technology-wise existed, and, and I mean, at the time, there, there weren't even things to prevent complications if that makes sense so yeah so, so these days <clears throat> you know if, if your blood pressure is starting to go up they can put you on a tablet if your cholesterol is higher or if they want to protect your kidneys they can put you on a statin whereas in 1970s and 1980s those things hadn't been invented so you were effectively captive to a diet that was going to hopefully protect you so sticking to that diet and, and doing what you were told was, was the only, well, way potential, way, yeah, potential way of, of living a longer life. Well, at least the research, I guess, maybe showed that at the point. Um, what was your glucose monitor like at that point? Um, well, 
in those days and and even after blood testing came along so in the 70s and 80s it was urine testing which when you look back at it was really useless because all it really did was told you how much sugar if any was in your urine at the time you went to the toilet but mm. it wasn't accurate in terms of the right then and now it was it was always you know three hours behind or four hours behind if you went to the toilet so yeah um and and in those days um i've got to admit most often i just lied and made up the results and put them in my book so that when i went to see the endocrinologist i'd have a book full of um results but uh I can't honestly say I, I bothered testing really that much. I mean, I like, I can't blame you because like, it's a big hassle. And then if you're kind of subconsciously thinking it's a little pointless, then like, yeah, I mean, it's completely understandable. Well, that continued to blood testing as well. Well, that's <laughs> because, not good. Yeah, no, because in those, in those days, in, in the early nineties, um, I don't think I don't think the earliest blood sugar testers really had much of a memory. Mm. So and and so how was the doctor actually going to know how often you were testing, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense? So yeah. so in those days I, I used to fiddle my my blood sugar booklets as well. So it, wow. it's only it's only been since the monitors have become more you know capable that you and, and plus they can download and all that kind of stuff now so you, you can't really lie anymore yeah oh yeah it's been really hard and I like I feel so bad for complaining right now for I don't know like I can't really like I'm having trouble getting a pump from my doctor as you know um but I really feel guilty for complaining about that now because what I have right now, like the Dexcom and different types of insulin and even the, like just the availability, the, even the thought of being able to have a pump, it's so like, it's just a, I, something to be grateful for, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose, but I suppose also because I've been living with type one for so long that I'm, I'm grateful just to be here. So the fact that I do have all this other stuff is, is fantastic. But even if I didn't have it, I would still be grateful that I'm actually still alive. So I, I don't think, I don't think it's bad for you to feel a, a bit bad about not having things because they do exist now. Whereas when we didn't have them, they didn't exist. So you, you couldn't have something that didn't existed. Yeah, you didn't even know about it and didn't even think it could be possible, I guess. No. Oh, gosh, no. Yeah. Do you, if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to, but I'm just really curious. Um, has diabetes sort of shouted back at you at any point? Do, do you have, do you have like any complications or anything during your um, life? Yeah, I, I mean, the list is not extensive, but it is definitely there. Um not in any particular order. Um, I've got diabetic retinopathy for which I have had laser surgery. Thankfully, not a lot, but I have had it. And in 2013, I developed 
um, maculopathy in my left eye, for which I've had injections. Is that diabetes related as well? Because I don't think. Yes. Okay. Yeah, diabetic maculopathy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, the the other things are definitely di uh, diabetic related, but they're things that other people can get as well. So um, Dupuytren's contracture, which is where you're, it's, they call it trigger finger. Okay. So I've had five surgeries on five different fingers for that. Whoa. Um, frozen shoulder, that's another one that I've had a few times. It kind of come, has come and gone. And the very first time I had it, I just thought I had like twisted a muscle or something playing sport. So I, I didn't associate it with diabetes. But when I finally went to the doctor and, and explained what was going on, he literally opened his drawer and pulled out a leaflet and said, type one diabetes and frozen shoulder. It was like, what? This exists? Oh, so, God. Um, and then um, I don't know if you are aware of necrobiosis lipoidica which is a skin, a skin condition, normally it appears on your lower legs and, and it, it, it's kind of like rough and bumpy and raised, um, angry looking skin. And I've had, I had that very early on in my diagnosis, probably when I was a late teenager. And it, it did fade after about eight or 10 years and became more, more dull and brownie colored rather than um, angry and red yeah but like I feel these things can happen to like anyone and they're not like sometimes doctors assign too much to type 1 diabetes if you get what I mean oh yeah I know what you, yeah every, every time you go in oh well it's your diabetes that's caused it yeah oh I'm also hypothyroid as well so. oh well I am as well so that makes us friends. <laughs> Not only that, though, yeah. hopefully. Um, so I know you recently went onto the keto diet, which I wanted to ask you why you've done that, what was your reasoning behind it, and how you find it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, right. This, this one goes back about, I'd say, 12 or 13 years. And I know, well... Okay, I've been diagnosed hypothyroid now for about six years. And if we go back about 12 or 13 years, I started noticing that in my twice a year appointments, I was putting on like a small amount of weight every single appointment. So it wouldn't be a lot, but it might be like half a kilo or mm -hmm. 0.7 of a kilo, that kind of a thing. And so this, this is like I'm putting on a kilo or a kilo and a bit every year. And so from about 11 years ago, I started saying to my doctor, I said, I'm gaining weight. And I said, I'm not doing anything different. You know, I'm, I'm fairly active. I walk a dog twice a day. Um, you know, I'm active in work. And as, as we've just discussed a moment ago, he put it down to my age and being diabetic. So uh, yeah, it was really great. And after, <laughs> after, after about three or four years of this going on, I said, look, isn't there anything we can do? And he said, well, oh, I'll send you to the dietitian." 
Oh. That Thanks. Was the worst and useless exercise because all she basically said to me was, well, yeah, just, just cut down your portions a little bit. And, and it was like, I well, mean, yes, but I know, but, but I was eat, I was eating healthily. You no, know, it was, it wasn't like I was eating all kinds of processed and junk food. I, I eat, I eat like four and five portions of veg every single day. And so it, it you know, I, I didn't think my diet was really an issue in that sense, but I did cut down my portions a bit, but it, it didn't do anything. Um, really? Interesting. Nope. Because you've nope. been cutting out like calories, so that would would supposed to get rid of a bit of weight at least. Well, in theory, yeah. But like I said, it just wasn't. But anyway, so along six years ago, diagnosed with hypothyroid, and then that obviously is a a pointer in terms of why it could be harder to lose weight. So um, we've kind of got it now. Fast forward from that whole twelve years, because in that time, I've gained a substantial amount of weight. I mean, much more than I care to admit. So when the coronavirus hit this year, um, it kind of stopped us doing our normal activities and being out and about and as active as often. We still walk in the village, but um, my weight was, I probably was more comfort eating as well from March till August. And then I don't know, one day I just said, I've, do you know what? I've got to do, I've really got to do something. This is, this is getting mm-hmm. outrageous. And so I literally turned to my current dietitian, who is very good. And, and she said, yes, it's fine if you go on what they call the Newcastle diet. So that's basically a, a really low calorie diet. And I went on that, but I modified it because of the fact that I'm diabetic Mm -hmm. and allowed myself some hypo treatment within my calorie total for the day so that, so that I wouldn't get discouraged. Yeah. And I basically just cut out anything that's uh, higher in carbs. So I'm, I'm sticking now to, um, a small portion of protein, such as like a turkey steak or a chicken breast. Um, I'm eating a lot of eggs, uh, loads and loads of green veg every day. And, and it's, it's becoming invented with how, how you prepare it. So some days I will chop it up and make a stir fry and use not, not a lot, but I use just like enough soy sauce and teriyaki sauce in a mix to, to make it really tasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm using a lot of cheese, um, reduced fat cheese, and making a mixture up with um, Dijon or whole grain mustard, and then topping that over my vegetables and baking them in the oven. And that's really tasty. Um, I've started eating uh lettuce burgers so like you make the you know yeah. like, make a beef burger and use a lettuce as a bun instead of um bread as a bun and salmon well, but basically salmon. sorry yep yeah there is nothing to do with diabetes in your diet it's basically just to lose weight and you chose the way to reduce the amount you're eating basically is by reducing the amount of carbs 
Yes. And I get you're not eating a lot of fat either, which is no. Yeah, it's the point of of dieting kind of thing. If you do want to lose weight, yeah. that totally makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and and I suppose for me, the 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 choices I'm making with my fat are healthier choices than uh, you know a traditional diet. So I I love eggs, and I I know they're they're quite high in fat, but. Mm. They're they're, re, they're obviously no no carbs, so that is a really great breakfast choice for me. I, I, three scrambled eggs, and maybe a bit of cheese sprinkled over the top, and I don't have to take Edge. very much for that. Um, cool. How is that diet working for you? Um, really, really, really well. Uh, I started on the twenty first of September, and I. I I can get discouraged very quickly if I don't see results. So <clears throat> my, my first promise to myself was that I was not going to weigh in every week. And so I waited seven, I waited seven weeks before I did my first weigh in. And <clears throat> in that time, I lost 10.1 kilos. Oh, wow. That's good. That is yeah. quite good. Um, and it's not like it's quick, but it's like hopefully sustainably quick for you. I, well, I, I hope so because I carried on and didn't weigh again until the 23rd of December because again I didn't want to get discouraged throughout December if I if I did weigh in and on the 23rd of December I had lost a further 3.1 kilos mm -hmm. so total weight loss till just before Christmas was 13.3 kilos so really pleased with it. I've increased my exercise, I suppose, literally exponentially compared to what I was doing. Um, luckily, I've got an exercise bike in the house. So I've been mm. riding that every day. And my goal every day, I don't achieve this every day, but my goal every day is to try and burn about 500 calories on the exercise bike. So awesome. What I really love about how you speak about this and how you look at how you're eating right now is that you don't you know it's not sustainable forever and you have a clear goal of why you're doing it and you understand that like it's not going to be possible to maintain this way of eating for your entire life no yeah no. it's um it, it's it's with the goal of losing weight and once once I have got in the range of the target I want to be then <clears throat> I'm going to be talking with my dietitian again on what I would call a slow introduction of some of the foods that I would normally have had in my diet. So things mm -hmm. like potatoes or rice or pasta and um, butter and <laughs> just, just the things that would have normally been in there before that I've cut out. Yeah, so, sure. uh, yeah it's, it's definitely not going to be um, a forever diet, but but I, th I think by doing it for this length of time, it probably will have an impact on my eating in the future. I, but it probably will will be more to do with ensuring that my portion sizes stay smaller. Yeah, well, that's good. So I know you are married, right? Yes. Um, and I was just wondering, like, how is it to live with diabetes, get married with diabetes, um, and just like live in a long-term relationship 
with it? Um, well, the way, the way I would answer that is the way my wife answers that. And what she often says is diabetes is like the third person in our marriage. <laughs> and that, that isn't necessarily a good thing sometimes. It, I'm not saying it's bad, but sometimes it's not necessarily a good thing because, gosh, when I, when I think of all the times that whatever we've been up to has been disrupted by something happening with diabetes, I mean, stupid little things like the time I left my, my pump and my supplies in my, in my kit bag in motorway services, <laughs> So yeah. we got Oops. we got to we got to where we were going, and I was just about to inject for lunch, and I went, "Oh, where's my stuff?" Went out and looked in the car, and it wasn't there. It was like, "Oh God!" I, I ended up having to drive two hours, four hours oh, round Lord. trip to go back. And thankfully, the the people in the services had put my bag behind the counter, so it was there. But it, you know, I mean, it's it's just, it's silly things that I've done like that over the time, or. My wife's been really, really good. Um, not very often, but like once every six to nine or 12 months for getting my kit at home. So I'm at work and don't have my kit and she'll, she's rolled up with it, you know, mid morning saying, here, you forgot this. And, um, yeah, and but then the back like, it's just little things that can happen to everyone. Like you can forget stuff, even if you're not diabetic, I guess. Yeah, like, true. Things happen. Yeah, but it but it but it does have such an impact because it's it's how you stay alive, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good that you like you have a person that really supports you and oh, definitely. It's just really encouraging for like somebody of my age to know that you can find a person that will get through with you together through all of this, you know, and like not leave you alone and understand and and help you out when you need it and yeah. It's just yeah, really, I, really inspiring. Well, I remember it was one of, it was, I, I can't remember if it was the first thing I said, but it was definitely on the first date, I said I was type one diabetic and that, I, I don't, I don't want to say blunt, but it was basically like, so I, I just want you to know because uh, it, it definitely can have an impact on a relationship so if 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 that means i'm not for you in any way shape or form let's call it a day today <laughs> well and 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 like i said fortunately um she was very understanding and supportive and we're still here 33 years later that's beautiful that's really beautiful actually um you don't have kids do you no um you don't have to tell me if you don't want well to. no 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 this is this is a this is a big one this is a huge one for me because uh if you go back to the time the advice to women was generally very you know against having children just because of the they would have known the problems with pregnancy. So and high blood sugars. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, 
So from, from a male standpoint, I know that wouldn't have affected me, but I think I was so traumatized by being diagnosed that I, I made a vow to myself that, and I, for some people listening to this now, they probably won't even be able to understand it or, or how you could think like that. But I made the vow to myself that I thought I'm never having kids because I am not passing this along. I, I, I completely get you though. I do really get you because like, especially with the love, I mean, the level of care was as good as the, it could be back then, but it wasn't great. And um, it's completely understandable that you wouldn't want to put the same, a person that like, you're basically your kid through the same thing as you've yeah. been through. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, okay. So Paul, do you want to to conclude, like give a, some words of wisdom to younger <laughs> diabetics or to people living with diabetes now, um, just something like encouraging, inspiring, or I don't know, something you would like to share. Yeah, um, th- there's, there's a couple that, that spring to mind immediately. And the, and the first one, and, and I haven't myself always been really good at this, but my, my first thing would be is, always try to be kind to yourself because diabetes lasts a lifetime. Yeah. And so that, and that one, I have, I have been practicing that definitely for, since I've been on social media. So the last, you know, nine years, I I have been a lot kinder myself and, and that's come about from reading about other people and, and how they cope. So, I think the power of the community to help us feel better about ourselves and be kinder to ourselves is really there. And then the other thing like is- my, my first thing would be the community actually, because to me, it was a huge lifesaver. So you told me you were alone for like 36 years or something with diabetes as well. Like you didn't know anyone. Yep. Um, I had the same, but like until the, the age of 18, and the community really changed how I cared for myself and just how I thought about diabetes. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's, it, it is so powerful because the, the help is there if, if you would like to engage with it. Totally. Uh, and then the other thing is, and, and, and this, this one's more to do with, uh, again, it's being kind to yourself, but, but it's, it's, it's really understanding that diabetes is a marathon race it's not a sprint race and so when you have bad days or bad hours or bad weeks putting it into the perspective of the length of the race again helps you to feel a bit better about yourself because we all have bad you know days or bad weeks all of it and that's that's people without diabetes as well so learning that you know that it it, it is a long 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 race I think helps absolutely well Paul thank you so much for coming on and sharing your amazing really long story as well thank you for inviting me on I really enjoyed it I want to say a huge massive thank you to Paul for coming on and sharing 
his perspective of living with type 1 for such a long time. I think it's super helpful for us these days so we don't get too hard on ourselves and I want to thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. I will link Paul's Instagram in the show notes and I will also link my blog and my own Instagram, which is T1LevelDaria. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week.